0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, and welcome everybody to a very special COVID-19 vaccine town hall. I'm Steve Sparks, one of the Astros radio broadcasters, and I'm very pleased to, to bring on our show today. uh, One of the leading experts. Uh, in all the questions that we might be able to muster during this time, and it's Dr. Mark Boom, who's the president and CEO of Houston Methodist. Uh, Since 2012, actually, he's been with Houston Methodist since 1997, and he maintains a part-time clinical practice where his special interests are preventative medicine, lipid disorders, and also hypertension. Houston Methodist, they're a state-designated vaccine hub for the at-risk public. And they are currently offering the vaccine to at-risk, vulnerable patients who meet specific criteria. And we'll get into a lot more of that. As of January 31st, 2021, Houston Methodist has administered over 114,000 vaccines. Uh, you can find this in a list of uh, questions at HoustonMethodist.org/vaccine. And while Dr. Boom can't make predictions for the upcoming Season or answer any questions about the team, and he can't really hit the cutoff man that well from the outfield. Uh, he's a there's an the official healthcare provider, of course, for the Astros, and we have the opportunity to sit down uh, with Dr. Boom and asking questions specifically about the COVID-19 vaccine. So, welcome aboard, uh, Dr. Boom. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here.
0: Well, we've got a we got a lot of questions and a lot of people here. We we thank you guys for joining in. I mean, the more we know, uh, I think the the less anxiety and the, the less stress uh, that that'll be involved. And and I know Dr. Boone, since you know so much about this, you probably feel a, a level of, of confidence about what's going on right now. I hope. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, we're, we're in a better place than we've been. There's no question things are going uh, now in the right direction in town. We've got a long ways to go, though, let me be clear. And, uh, you know, vaccines are really uh, the the major hope that's out there. We're, we're very excited about them. Um, you know, really, when we think about how do we return our lives to any semblance of normal, when we think about how do we extinguish really this, you know, very large death rate we've seen as a result of COVID, vaccines are the answer. And so we are very, uh, very supportive of, of pushing vaccines forward as quickly as we possibly can throughout the community.
0: I want to remind everybody who's listening right now that there's a, there's a chat and there's a conversation to be had. So you can push ask a, a, ask a question at the bottom and, and uh, we can just have a, a great conversation. First one uh, is from one of our listeners, Dr. Boom uh, It says, do we have to get a vaccine every year or just one time?
1: You know, that's a great question, and I wish we knew the exact answer. We don't at the, at the present okay. time. Uh, we think that uh, vaccine uh, and and the the consequent uh, immune immune response, the antibody response, as well as some other uh, cellular response and things are probably pretty durable. Um, so they very well may last more than a year, or maybe even a couple, three years. But we also have the, this whole issue of mutations with the virus and new variants. And so it wouldn't surprise any of us to see a situation much like the flu, where we're, we're updating our booster shots, maybe both to give us literally more, you know, more vaccination or, or more immunity over time, but also maybe to give us immunity to some things that uh, we haven't seen before, or some aspects of the virus we haven't seen before
0: I have a couple of questions uh, regarding the the one shot three weeks later you get another shot Should you number one and one of our listeners asked this should you get both injections from the same provider so we'll start with that.
1: Yeah, so there's there's two vaccines right now that have been approved. We can talk more about some of the others uh, hopefully coming up soon. Uh, one of those is Pfizer. Um, that's done at a three-week interval, uh, and the other is Moderna. That's done at a four-week interval. Um, really, the recommendation right now is not to interchange those. So um, while theoretically it probably works we don't have data to back that up so we're trying as best as possible uh, to keep you know if you get Pfizer you get Pfizer and if you get moderna you get moderna now the CDC gave a little bit of wiggle room in that uh, and from in terms of providers the answer is technically not but practically yes and the reason is that the way the supply comes in now is if they give 10,000 vaccines to let's say Houston Methodist, Three weeks later, if it's Pfizer, they're going to make sure we get 10,000 vaccines, you know, to vaccinate for the second dose. And so, if okay. if in a if with lots of unlimited supply, you can mix and match and, and move around different sites. But with limited supply, it really practically doesn't work very well. So we would strongly encourage people to go back to their same provider.
0: I saw something on the news yesterday where, you know, sometimes there might be a refrigeration problem. You know, there, there's human error in everything we do, and. You know, they may have to throw away every once in a while, a very small percentage of the vaccines. What happens if, if you go three or four weeks and you don't get that follow up, uh, what if it takes you five, out to five or six weeks?
1: Sure. Well, first off, let me say we haven't thrown out a single dose. We are extraordinarily careful and every day match the number right. of vaccines to the number of people. Uh, in terms of the window of when to get this, it's it's a subject of much discussion. No question, I think the data support that it is not a firm, you know, thou shalt be here in three weeks or four weeks based on uh, which which vaccine it is but there's a window. And so the the new CDC guidance certainly gives a couple, three, four week kind of window in there. Uh, if you look at the UK, and this is what's what generated a lot of discussion, they actually purposely decided to wait 90 days the, the studies don't support that. It will probably work based on how other vaccines work, but we just don't have the data behind it. So, mm. the, the 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 bottom line is, I wouldn't worry too much if you're, you know, a week or two late. But I wouldn't go much past there, and I'd try to be in that in a in a couple week window after that, three weeks or four weeks.
0: Okay, that's great to know. Do I have to continue, uh, Dr. Boom, wearing a mask after I get the vaccine?
1: Yes, um, very, very strongly, yes. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. One of them is that we don't yet have the data to prove that the vaccine uh, gives you what's called sterilizing immunity. So what that is, is um, if you did it, let's say in monkeys, and you give them the vaccine, and then you just blast a ton of vaccine in the face of a monkey, you can show that they don't get it, which is sterilizing immunity. They're not, they can't even get infected. Um, but we don't quite know that in humans yet. So we don't know if it just prevents getting sick, but you could still carry the the disease or whether it actually prevents you from carrying the disease. So to be safe, we don't want you to infect other people. And so we want you to keep masking, at least until we get to a point of herd immunity and we get to really where the community uh, levels of virus are way lower. The other side is very, very pragmatic and practical. So, I mean, if you are a person X and you've not been vaccinated and you go into a supermarket, let's just say say you're there, and now you see 30 people unmasked, um, you know, which of those people are unmasked because they're the safest person to be around because they've been vaccinated and which of those people are unmasked because they're the ones who don't wanna wear a mask and are gonna take any excuse not to wear a mask and probably are doing a lot of other things in life to make them high risk. And so really practically, yeah. if we're gonna to work together to, to get rid of this, we need to keep wearing masks for probably months to come.
0: Okay. Uh, how about do, do the new vaccine trial results mean the end to the pandemic?
1: Well, we don't know that one either. I I, I okay. certainly hope so. Um, gosh, we're all sick of this. Um, we certainly all want to move on. I do think they are our best hope to return to, uh, you know, a semblance of normalcy. I think I think later this year, it's unlikely that it's going to be you know 2019 or 2018 all over again. It will still be uh, kind of a little bit of a new normal. But we can approach a new normal that is so much better than where we are today. Um, you know, the first and foremost goal is let's get rid of all. The death that we're seeing you know we have seen well over 400 deaths across the country this is solidly the number three cause of death in 2020 and if anything, I think the deaths are being undercounted. Starting out the year in 2021, this is the number one cause of death in the United States. And so we need to get that down. And that's where we start with all the vulnerable people. The ultimate goal needs to be, you know, hopefully we extinguish this virus altogether like we've done with polio for the most part, certainly like we've done with, with smallpox, but um, practically that's probably not gonna happen anytime soon, but if we could get this down to the level where it's in the background more like a flu each year, obviously that would be way more tolerable. And one of the things we're seeing in a lot of the studies as well, they may not always protect people 100% with some of these new vaccines from getting infected. They seem to be pretty darn near 100% from preventing death and even preventing most hospitalizations. So obviously, if this was a mild illness and running around in just a mild illness like a common cold, we'd worry about it you know, a, a heck of a lot less. And so hopefully the vaccines will get us there.
0: Well, you're listening to the COVID-19 vaccine town hall. This is Dr. Mark Boom. President and CEO of Houston Methodist and Dr. Boom, this this one question right here, I think, is foremost for a lot of people. Uh, Is the vaccine safe?
1: Well, I think that's obviously a very key question to ask, um, and I'm going to give you an emphatic yes. I mean, everything okay. we have seen about both of the vaccines is they are extraordinarily safe. They were extraordinarily safe in the trials, and keep in mind you're talking tens of thousands, so a good number of people who've received the vaccine in the trials across the United States. Now you're talking about you know 25 plus million people who have received the vaccine. And really, any ill effects of the vaccine are are very few and far between. So they are extremely rare, uh, and so we have that confidence now of using it for a couple of months at much much higher you know number of people receiving it than we even had in the trials. And so I feel very confident about it. I think uh, my colleagues in, in in medicine also do. Um, and the reality is, um, you know, even if there is a small risk, which we're not seeing, that small risk is so much lower than the risk of COVID. I mean, keep in mind. Right now, um, you know we've had 400,000 deaths on a population of about 330 million people. So that's you know one in 700 people, one in 800 people, somewhere in that range who have been who have died um, so far as a result of COVID. Um, you know we've vaccinated 25 million people plus in the U.S. alone uh, with these two different uh, vaccines and are having an incredibly safe uh, profile with that.
0: One of our listeners uh, wants to know, what, what do you recommend for someone who's looking to get pregnant in the next 12 months? Should they hold off on getting the vaccine until after giving birth or get it prior to conceiving?
1: Yeah, that's a complicated question. Um, we don't have a large number of pregnant individuals who have been in the studies so far, so there's okay. not uh, you know clear cut data um, that is there now. If you look at most of the uh, uh, professional physician societies that that deal with obstetrics and gynecology, um, they generally are recommending that pregnant women certainly seriously consider getting vaccinated. And they're also recommending that conversation happen between a pregnant woman and and her physician. Um, The reason they're making those recommendations is that they a appear so safe in everybody who've been studied, but B we know that pregnancy is actually a significant risk factor, particularly around the time of giving birth. And we've, we've unfortunately all seen a lot of very sick, sick pregnant women, uh, you know, who have had the disease. So I would strongly encourage any individual who is pregnant to discuss that with her physician, uh, and uh, the physician, you know, and and she can and and the family can come uh, to a decision. Now, in terms of an individual who's thinking about getting pregnant. Um, Frankly, what I would recommend, um, what I would, I'm a physician myself, as as you mentioned, what I would tell my patients, what I tell my daughter is, look, um, you know, let's figure out a birth control method for a while if you're concerned about this, and let's get you vaccinated so you are safe. Even if there was any worry about risk, mostly you'd be worrying about giving that while you're pregnant. And again, we think that's safe as well. We just don't have all the data to prove that. But you really wouldn't be worrying about what if I get pregnant three months from now or four months from now and I got a vaccine now? There's really no risk whatsoever to that. So if you have any doubt about that, if that's something that makes you nervous, um, be careful. Um, You know, obviously use a birth control method and go ahead and get the vaccine, get vaccinated, and then think about getting pregnant later.
0: Okay, that's great advice. How about as vaccines become more available, will hospitals such as Methodist be partnering with area businesses to vaccinate workers?
1: I think we will. Um, You know, so far, a couple things are going on. First off, you know, first and foremost, the supply of vaccine is incredibly limited. it's way less than what we can, uh, you know, we we need. And we want to do through the community and way, way less than the demand. And so, you know, people are understandably frustrated wanting to get vaccine and there just isn't enough to go around. Um, The second issue right now is particularly with Pfizer and all the hospitals are getting Pfizer principally. um, That requires minus 70 plus degrees uh, you know, uh, Celsius temperatures. So very deep cold storage until you use it, and so it's really not very practical to take out to a community location to do a drive at a church or to do a drive at a business. And so we've all been doing that, you know, at locations where we have access to those deep freezers and where we can do that more centrally. Um, I think as we see additional vaccines come out, particularly, for example, the Johnson and Johnson, which we hope to be approved uh, by the end of February, is my hope. Um, we. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a single dose vaccine. It doesn't have deep course cold storage. You know, you get that into physician offices, pharmacies, you can start vaccinating through church drives, through uh, employers, et cetera. So hopefully that will happen, but it's not going to happen yet in the short term.
0: You know, doctor, you mentioned the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine, and, and I saw where it was like a 78% success rate when the other ones were uh, above 90. Should that concern anybody?
1: You know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting sequence of how those have come out because, you know, in October, if you talk to all of us, we were just hoping and praying we'd have something that was 60 or 70% effective, which is really sure. probably better than the flu vaccine is on most years and can make a real dent in the flu. And frankly, would make even more of a dent if more people would get vaccinated. Um, you know, and then we had these two that came out that were, I mean, literally like Grand Slam home runs and uh, that's yeah. the Pfizer and the Moderna, which were 94, 95% at preventing uh, Disease, people from showing symptoms and getting sick. When you look, so they at the data, set the bar super high. They set it super high, but when yeah. you look at the the Johnson and Johnson, um, there's a few things, a few points. One is it's still in the 70s, which is better than most vaccines, and that's for preventing uh, illness. But if you actually then parse into the data, essentially no one who got the vaccine died or was hospitalized. So while it may not be quite as high as preventing uh, kind of symptomatic illness, it's just as effective it appears to be. Again, I've just seen press release data, you know, the, the full peer reviewed data will come out over the next couple of weeks, but assuming that's all accurate, which I which I, it will be, I assume, um, we're, we're looking at probably pretty much equivalency in terms of keeping people from getting particularly ill and keeping people from being hospitalized and keeping people from dying. Then the other reality said, you know, is is there which is we don't have enough Pfizer and Moderna to go around and no matter what okay. they do, there won't be in the short term. So any vaccine with efficacy is better than no vaccine and so our strong encouragement is going to be get the first vaccine that you're eligible to get, you know, when your when your turn comes up in line, we can always sort out the details later and figure out whether we might give booster shots or might give you know a, a different type of vaccine 6 months down the road when it's readily available. But right now we would counsel anybody to get whichever vaccine becomes available. Again, that one's not available yet, but uh, they presented data through a press release. It should get, they've started to submit their uh, emergency use authorization and we expect that it will most likely be approved by the end of this month, and that will add a whole bunch more supply of vaccine into the system, uh, and also a vaccine that is much easier to to give, and so it has a lot of great advantages. So we don't want people to to feel like it is not something they should get. Right now, if you can get a vaccine, get whichever one it
0: is. Are there any more on the periphery? Are we coming down maybe in the spring or the summer?
1: There's a couple more. Um, AstraZeneca is actually already approved in the United Kingdom. Um, it was okay. It's trial was paused back in the uh, late summer, early fall in the US for almost a couple of months as they sorted through a, uh, an issue that had happened that didn't turn out to be because of the vaccine, but as part of the safety of the trial. So it's got another few weeks at least to go, I think, in the US before they might look at that. Uh, Novavax has now uh, presented some uh, early data as well. So I would expect at least one or two more in the next 60 to 90 days, most likely. Again, we're, we're betting on that, but uh, that's what it looks like.
0: If you're vaccinated, is it still possible to contract and infect others? Well, so that, that was a little bit what I was talking about
1: before. So first off, even at 95% effect, efficacy, um, that means mm-hmm. you, know, you still have a potential of getting sick. Now, fortunately, those people tended to have milder illness, weren't weren't going to the hospital, weren't weren't dying from the disease. Um, so, at the very least, we know those five percent of people could get the could get the virus and, therefore, of course, pass it on. We don't know yet uh, with the other 95 percent. We know they weren't getting sick but we don't know they have what's called sterilizing immunity. We don't know that they are so protected that that virus can't even enter their body and go to someone else. So it is still a possibility. And we won't know that for a few months more, I suspect.
0: Do you think people should get a vaccine uh, when they're all approved or can they pick which one they want?
1: Right uh, right now, there's really no way to pick what you're going to get. Um, it's just going to okay. depend who's got what. Um, and again, I, I tell people, I've, I've watched some people who had an opportunity to get one, and they hum and haw about, you know, is that the one I want to get? Do I want to get another one? Oh, do I want to drive to this location? And the next thing they know, of course, the slots are all full. Um, so yeah. what I tell people right now is when it's your turn, wait your turn, but when it's your turn and you're offered a vaccine, um, take the first one you can get, drive if you need to drive, do whatever you need to do. Take off work, et cetera, go grab it if, again, when it's your turn. And right now, we're all focusing mainly on the elderly population, started with 75 and up, now moving into the 65 and up uh, age range. And that's done because those are the most vulnerable uh, in our population. Uh, and, you know, we know that, for example, at the hospitals, about three quarters of the death that occurred occurred um, uh, in people over 65. So if we could get everybody over 65 vaccinated, we know that we could, you know, extinguish out the vast majority. Majority of that three-quarters of the deaths um, there. So.
0: How, how are the vaccines going to be prioritized after we're, we're finished with the 65 and overs?
1: So, uh, you know, there's there's differences around the country, but let me focus on Texas. Texas has so far created two broad groups. One is called 1A and the second group is 1B. 1A is, okay. think of it basically as healthcare workers and a few other kind of very frontline, uh, you know, interacting with patients or high probability of interacting yeah. with people in close settings that might have the disease. There's about 420,000 people across greater Houston that fit that category. Um, The next category is called 1B, and 1B in its broad term is everybody over 65 and anybody between age 16 and 64 who has a qualifying health condition, and there's a very long list of those health conditions. But then within that we're all allowed to sub-prioritize. And so what we've chosen to do, what really I think all of the hospitals have chosen to do, what the county, Harris County has chosen to do, is really to focus starting at the oldest age first. And so we started with 75 and up, uh, and uh, both in terms of our own databases at Houston Methodist, where we know who's there and who's the, who's the sickest and who's at the most risk, as well as through open signups throughout the community. Um, you know, probably, coupled between the 250, 160,000 invitations for vaccine have gone out and we've scheduled um, tens of thousands, probably you know, somewhere in the order of 60 or 70,000 individuals in that category. We've begun prioritizing 65 and up and have started with some of this in our own databases, some of the people with the most uh, underlying conditions. So at the highest risk as well as then an open sign-up process throughout the community, and every time we're looking at sign-up, we're very purposeful and really looking at making sure we get into every part of town, every zip code. That we, you know, really make sure that we don't have inequities uh, that are that are occurring, and try to try to make this as fair and equitable as it
0: possibly can be. How far along are we in the process with one with the one A's and one B's right now?
1: Well, so if you look across Greater Houston. Um, There's about 420,000 1As, there's about 800 and a little bit, 800 plus 1,065 and up, so that's not all 1Bs. That's just the older okay. population. So that's about a one and a quarter million people. So far, there have been about call it five hundred and sixty thousand first doses that have come into the Greater Houston area. So a bunch of second doses have come in, but in terms of people who could start in the process, and that includes you know a bunch that just came here yesterday. So they haven't all gotten in people's arms. Um, but you're still talking about you know f- less than half of that population. Now, not everybody yeah, in that population is going to run to the vaccine. Um, we're estimating, you know, let's say about three quarters of that population wants the vaccine. You know, you're talking somewhere between 900,000, a million people or so uh, in those two categories. And again, we're at about 550, 560. Typical week, we're getting about 70,000 vaccines into greater Houston. So you could see within the next four, five, six weeks, um, really everybody in that age group who's who wants a vaccine should have started the process by then. Um, so what you'll see, it, it won't be that we wait a full four weeks, but somewhere in that next couple, three weeks, we'll probably start inviting people and opening up for people younger, particularly people with health conditions.
0: Okay, good to know. Dr. Mark Boone, President and CEO of Houston Methodist. I like this question. After receiving the first dose of the Moderna vaccine, do you have any level of protection during those four weeks leading up to the second dose? Yeah,
1: with both of the vaccines, it looks like about 10 to, 10 to 14 days after you receive your first dose, you start to have protection. So when they okay. did the studies, and you see about 30,000 people who got the vaccine and about 30,000 people who just got a placebo, in other words, like essentially a a shot of salt water. Um, What ended up happening was the line of people, the number of people kind of day after day was pretty much the same for about 10 days in terms of who got uh, COVID. And then around 10 days, um, the, the line of the placebo just kept going straight up and the other one really flattened out. And so it looks like pretty substantial partial but substantial protection about two weeks in. Now, the studies looked at one week after the second dose. So if you're Pfizer, that means one week after week three. And if you're Moderna, one week after week four. And any, anybody who's gotten one week past their second dose now is in the zone where they know that the studies suggest 94, 95 percent uh, protection. And the good news is in the real world, we're starting to see pretty good evidence that the, the study data was accurate. So in Israel where they've vaccinated um, you know a large swath of their population already, they're seeing significant downtick in that elderly population. They started with an age-based strategy. I can tell you it, within an institution like Houston Methodist where so many of our employees have been vaccinated so far, we've seen a definite big time downturn in the number of infections our employees get you know out in the community. So um, uh, right now all the anecdotal evidence suggests that they are working as well, which is
0: obviously reassuring okay? Uh, What if somebody's concerned that this vaccine has been rushed? I've heard that quite a bit. Is the FDA overseeing uh, that whole process? Yeah, that's that's a great question.
1: There definitely is yeah. this perception that that the vaccine was rushed, and no question. During the time of a pandemic, we move at a little different pace, obviously, than during during sure. normal times. But the technology that underpins these two vaccines is is decades in the making. So this is a culmination of really years and years and years and years of science. And then really what they did then, and they did this in literally like two weeks. I mean, that's how sophisticated this technology is. In about two weeks, they were able to say, okay, here's the virus, this is the mRNA sequence that we need to be able to use for the vaccine. And so then they spent the better part of the year really studying that from you know phase one and two clinical trials, which really looked at safety into the phase three trial, which um, you know vaccinated tens of thousands of people looking at both efficacy and safety uh, and have had a very uh, you know good experience with that so um, while it has been quick i would not call it rushed because i don't believe they cut corners scientifically what they did was they did things in parallel that normally would be done in sequence. So normally you'd go through this very slow process, and you take your time analyzing the data and all these different things, and they put that on hyperdrive um, so that they started, for example, some phase three trials while some of the phase two trials were, were, were finishing up. Um, the other thing they did big time was put a lot of money into uh, uh, manufacturing capability. That was Operation Warp Speed. And so what would normally happen is after all of this and you go through the process and everything, then the manufacturing has to take place, and so they start building the plants and everything else. But um, because the government basically said, you know, no matter what, whether this works or it doesn't work, we're guaranteeing we're buying, you know, this 100 million doses or whatever it is, the manufacturers could build those manufacturing plants. And so there were a whole lot of points like that where we save tons of time, but where um, it's not it's not what I would describe as corner cutting or rushing. but rather putting something on a fast track, and that's
0: been very effective. Hmm. If if somebody has already had COVID-19, should they still get the vaccine?
1: They should, and all of the national recommendations are very strongly in favor of getting the vaccine. In fact, you can get the vaccine pretty much as soon as you're done with your symptoms. Um, and the reason is that what we're seeing with these vaccines is we're seeing multi-fold levels of antibody in the people's bloodstream. So in other words, we believe the vaccines are much more effective at generating an immune response than the actual virus is. And so we believe both a better response and a more durable response by getting the vaccine. So if you've had COVID, the first vaccine in a way kind of almost acts as a booster for your body, and then you almost get a second booster. And so I look at those individuals as pro- most likely um, some of the you know most strongly immune people in our community if they go ahead and do that. So, again, we encourage everybody, whether they've had COVID or not, to go ahead and get the vaccine.
0: Okay. here's a question. Somebody asked this. Why two doses? What's the rationale behind that? Wouldn't it have been easier just to have one? You know,
1: know, two doses are not unusual in the vaccine world. Um, There's a whole booster response phenomenon where your body, when it kind of resees the antigen that it's making the antibodies towards, kind of has a, a... more than just an attitude, but almost a multiplicative kind of response. So there's many things we do that with hepatitis B vaccine. Many people over 50 now uh, are—I certainly did—are all getting Shingrix, for instance, which is the shingles shot. And so, you know, even if you think about childhood vaccines. Some of them are single dose, but most of them a child will get on more than one occasion in order to give a booster. So that's pretty typical. Now, unfortunately, they didn't study single doses of Moderna or Pfizer because we ended up seeing such a robust immune response from the first dose. It would have been nice if we had those data as well. And you could have made a decision, you know, between 85% with one dose and 95% with two doses in the midst Mm. of a pandemic, perhaps. But we just don't have those data. Um, So the Johnson & Johnson will be one dose. We know how effective it is with one dose. They're still studying uh, a second dose of that as well. So even if we get the EUA this month and approve the Johnson & Johnson, a bunch of people get a single dose. It wouldn't surprise me that in a few months they take a look at it and say, hey, you know, let's go ahead and give people boosters. We don't, I don't know that, I'm speculating, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me that at all.
0: All right, here's a really thoughtful question, Dr. Boom. Somebody wants to know, are there any options right now to get vaccinated for people who are the primary caretakers of family members who are high risk due to health issues? That's a
1: great question. And I mean, the short answer is no. Um, The short answer is the way the prioritization schemes or, you know, the prioritization trees are set up, it's um, set up. Uh, really based on the individual at risk or, you know, based on the 1A category, which are healthcare workers. Um, so there's really not a way unless that individual uh, fits into a risk category, him or herself. And so, you know, that may shift over time. There may be w- a way to prioritize those individuals when we get, you know, further uh, through the prioritization. But there's not a way to do that right now.
0: What's going on at the hospitals right now? What are you seeing as far as, uh, uh- the beds uh, is it over over overly crowded still? What's it look like?
1: Yeah, it's it's busy and our people are 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 tired. I mean, you just think about all our everybody on the phone here today or listening today is uh, we're all tired, right? We're sick of COVID. We're sick of all the restrictions. You know, we're fatigued. We're cranky. Uh, you know, then then imagine that on top of that, you've been working you know extra hard really for now just about a year, and so people are yeah. tired. They're hanging in there. But what we're still seeing is a lot of patients with COVID. So, you know, to put that in perspective, across uh, Houston Methodist as an example, but you'd see similar numbers across all of the institutions uh, in in Houston. Um, This summer, we peaked out at about. 720, 730 patients in a bed, plus another 50, 60 at any given time were being worked up for COVID out of about 2,300 beds. So it was 35 to 40% of our beds in use for patients with COVID. Uh, kind of around New Year's and into that next week or 10 days, we peaked out even higher than that this time. And so well over 750 plus another 50 or 60 in workup. Um, that has begun to come down, thankfully. We're down to about 620, 630 at Houston Methodist right now. Um, so it's down, you know, to to maybe 80, 85% of where it was at peak but we had a long way to go. Um, putting that in perspective, in mid-September after we came through the summer surge, we got down to about 140 and then started climbing again. So our hope is that we keep coming down, but what we're seeing is a pretty gradual decrease this time, not nearly as quick a decrease as what we saw this summer. We still see high positivity rates. Vaccines will kick in and be a big part of the solution, but the reality is you know, you're know, you still only talking maybe 7% of the population has received vaccine and you know, not even everybody there is fully immune yet because they're in the course of that so that's going to be a while still so it's going to be another tough go and it's very important that we all band together and do the things to 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 keep each other safe and and keep things in control so the hospitals can care for people with COVID and without COVID.
0: Hmm. All right we're just about to wrap up here pretty soon so if you have any more questions want to make sure you get those in in our conversation. Somebody just asked what is an MRNA vaccine?
1: Yeah. So these two new vaccines, the Pfizer and the uh, Moderna, are based on mRNA. mRNA is messenger RNA, um, we've all heard of DNA. So just think yeah. of RNA as kind of a version of DNA. Um, it's just part of the machinery in the, in the cells. And the short version of it is, is you use mRNA basically for the instructions to produce proteins. And so what, what we're doing with these vaccines is delivering instructions to the cells to make spike protein. Spike proteins is the, the kind of binding protein on the surface of the uh, uh, COVID. And when that then gets made and kind of dumped into your bloodstream, your body then sees that as foreign and it mounts an antibody response to that and creates antibodies against the spike protein and then god forbid you get you know exposed to covid your body has these antibodies running around that look at that they see covid they see the spike protein and they basically take it out of commission before it can do any harm and that's basically how our immune system works all
0: right all right here this is a question that i think is going to probably kind of wrap things up for us, um, everybody's going kind of just sitting around waiting uh, for their turn. So what do I do specifically? What do I do and how how will I know it's my turn?
1: So, you know, there are, I mean, from every one of the hospital systems to the city to the county, there's, you know, all you need to do is quick Google or go to any of the websites. And they've all got uh, a link up there in terms of where they are uh, currently in prioritization. If I had to roughly guess, I think we're going to spend collectively uh, the better part of February focusing on patients 65 and up. Uh, okay. the better part of March, really focusing on additional populations at high risk below age 65. And we've all started that. So, for example, if, you have a, if you're a transplant patient, you're probably as high risk as anybody on the planet, right? So, every one of the okay. hospital systems has been focusing on, doesn't matter what age, let's get our transplant patients protected. Um, but what you'll see then, I think in the month of March, you'll start seeing uh, that 16 to uh, 64-year-old age group further focused on, particularly for people with Health issues. It's going to be April into May. I think that you're going to see things hopefully get more wide open. Some of that is really contingent on obviously supply, which has been very limited, but also supply of subsequent vaccines. Obviously, if we kick in with the Johnson and Johnson in a month, you know, suddenly um, if they make the same amount as the other two, your supply's gone up by 50% overnight, uh, and maybe even more since they they uh, are a one dose regimen. So we hope it'll keep. Growing and accelerating right now across the U.S., you're seeing about 1.3 to 1.4 million doses a day being administered. Now that's a combination of first and second doses. Um, so we're you know we we're well on our way, but there's a long way to go. Again, Houston has a population of 7.1 million, and we've gotten call it about 560,000 first doses into the city. Um, even if you take out kids who aren't eligible yet, you're still talking to call it five and a half million, maybe 5.3 3 million people in Houston. So we're just now getting maybe up to close to the 10% of our population. Uh, you know, Maybe in the next week to 10 days, we'll have had access to a first dose. So there's a long way to go
0: still. I know uh, President Biden has talked about he, he wants to ramp things up and he wants to get these out there in a more timely fashion. Do you think things are getting better as we go along?
1: well the the biggest constraint right now is supply I mean if you you know I'm on a okay. twice a week call with all my colleagues across the Texas Medical Center and colleagues across both uh, the Harris county as well as the city of Houston and to at every one of these organizations the city the county we're all administering the vaccines we get very quickly and and uh, and collaborating very effectively all of us are clamoring for more. And that's before you really even then start thinking about, well, how many vaccines can you stick in, you know, all of our pharmacy partners, um, from HEB to Walgreens to CVS and others? Yeah. Um, how many vaccines can go into individual physician offices if we have a, a, a vaccine that doesn't need deep cold storage? So you can really amplify. And we believe, um, we, when we've looked at it together, we can get herd immunity in Houston within about 180 days but it requires the supply. And right now that national supply just isn't there. Um, they are ramping up both Pfizer and Moderna, but I think they're pumping them out to the States as quickly as they're making the vaccine uh, and, uh, and committing to increasing that, but not increasing it by, by orders of magnitude. And so really the big answer is gonna have to be continuing that as well as then adding uh, another vaccine choice and maybe another
0: couple after that, that really will accelerate things greatly. Talking with Dr. Mark Boom from Houston Methodist, Uh, I remember around April and May of last year we were anticipating that the summer heat might curb the, the virus to some extent. Was that the case and can we expect more of the same? well I do think
1: we've seen now uh, you know with a fair degree of certainty that this this virus like other coronaviruses does have a seasonality component so it will tend to be worse in the colder drier months and better in the more yep. humid hotter months um, we didn't you know obviously we had our biggest surge until recently uh, in the midst of summer and that is because frankly when nobody's had a virus and you don't have any immunity running through a community uh, even that seasonality just kind of got overwhelmed um, I do have some some hope that this time, between vaccinations, between obviously more people in the community have had this, uh, and as things warm up and get more humid, that uh, those will all be things going in the right direction for a place like Houston. So, uh, we are crossing our fingers with some of that. But you know, again, if you don't get the population vaccinated. That is a brief respite before you potentially have a bigger uh, uptick again as things get cooler. So the critical thing is going to be everybody getting the vaccine you know, when it is their turn and uh, getting that as quickly as possible. That's how we get out of this mess and how we protect each other and protect the vulnerable in our society.
0: All right, doctor, I've got a great one for you. And this is, this is probably going to hit home with a, a lot of people listening. What argument do you have for friends who won't get the vaccines and how do we convince them?
1: that's a great question unfortunately we live in an age where where there's a lot of skepticism about vaccines um and it's really it's i mean honestly as a physician it makes me very sad because if i look at the last century from 1900 to 2000 and you look at why did death rates go down so much and why did life expectancy get so much better you know probably first and foremost was was potable clean water right that's a fundamental but really second to that were vaccines because we were able to eradicate or hold back many devastating diseases and of course we also got back you know we got uh, antibiotics and some other things and began to work on heart disease and many things but if you really look at the big delta it was vaccines and we've gotten complacent and so at the end of the century we started asking questions because you know, most people didn't remember polio and most people didn't remember how horrible smallpox was and how horrible all these other diseases were. And we've had um, a lot of skepticism. Furthermore, we've had, unfortunately, some people who actively oppose vaccine, which is, you know, mind boggling to me uh, and really quite irresponsible from my perspective. Um, and so all of that is sort of the under pinning of then you enter a situation with a brand new virus that scared the heck out of everybody this past year, a process that was quick uh, for all the reasons, good reasons that I mentioned, but but quick. And so you have some people who are hesitant. Um, You know, I think I'd say a number of things. First off, and first and foremost is, we need to believe and trust in science. I mean, you know, if, if you have cancer and you go to the physician and you need your, God forbid, your breast cancer, your lung cancer treated, you're trusting in science and the medicine that. Has happened. This is no different. Trust in the science that is there, trust in the advice of medical professionals. That's number one. Number two, you know, at the end of the day, we're all sick of this, and we all have a responsibility as a society to protect each other. And vaccines are a perfect example of that. And if we don't all do this, we will have some degree of very abnormal life that is, you know, frankly, not the the life we all want to lead right now in terms of how COVID has dominated what everything that goes on. And so we owe it to each other, frankly, societally. So do it for yourself, protect yourself, protect your loved ones, and help protect society, protect some of the people out there who are particularly vulnerable i mean if you can get a vaccine and know that you saved a life why wouldn't any of us get that vaccine Mm -hmm. and so we definitely urge people uh, to go forward get the vaccine when it is their time
0: what do you hear specifically or or personally uh when somebody is hesitant to get the, the vaccine shot what do you hear that why do they hesitate the most
1: you know i think usually it's 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 uh, List. I mean, it's a combination of things. Um, you know, the unknown. Oftentimes, it's the unknown. Oftentimes, yeah. it's perhaps listening a little too much to some chatter that's out there. Not all of it well intentioned. Much of it, frankly, ill intentioned. Uh, that is out there on the internet. But you know, a lot of it is just hesitancy and and concern with something new. That is understandable. There's no question that's understandable. But this is a pandemic. I mean, this is a time where you know we're seeing hundreds of thousands of Americans die from this disease, we're seeing hospitals, you know, Basting, busting at the seam with people who are ill. It's hard to find somebody now who doesn't know somebody who's died of the disease. I lost an uncle uh, in Europe from the disease. I talked to countless of our employees, um, who you know, and, and others who have who have lost people. It is a very sad thing, and those are all they weren't preventable. Perhaps this year, not fully, but they're preventable going forward, and so we need to do those things. The other thing to talk about and 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 hit head on, quite honestly, is is that you know different populations of individuals may have different reasons for skepticism. So for example, we see uh, you know, kind of uneven skepticism and uneven desire to get the vaccine across different races. Um, the African American okay. population has been particularly skeptical, particularly hesitant, and a lot of that is for very good reason, because frankly, medicine has earned the distrust. It's a sad comment, but when you look at things like the Tuskegee experiment that went on for the better part of the last century, um, you know, it, it's abhorrent and, and it should never have happened. Um, and because of those kinds of issues and many others, there is a lot of distrust. Um, But if you look at this pandemic, it has been both a great leveler in that every human being on the planet can get this. And of course, we've seen that with our president, um, with the UK prime minister, as two examples um, of individuals who've gotten this. And so it can infect any human being on the planet, but it's also exposed all of the inequities that we have in our health system. It's exposed you know, lack of access to healthcare. It has been a real challenge. Um, and so when you look at the communities that have been hardest hit, um, it's African-American community, it's the Latinx community that have been hardest hit. There's been more deaths, mm-hmm. more disease in each of those communities. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now is some more hesitancy in both of those communities. So I look at this as, a tragedy that on the front end and throughout the pandemic we've had more death in those communities and now I worry about this tragedy on the back end of the last place that we protect is in those communities. And so there's a whole host of things, whether it's Houston Methodist, whether it's uh, other colleagues in the medical center or it's city county that we're doing to educate, to gain trust, um, to focus on structural issues that may be out there in the community and prevent us from getting broad spread and widespread throughout the community. It's something we're very passionate about and are working on yep. literally
0: every day. All right. Um, should I get the vaccine if I've had a severe allergic reaction to vaccines in the past?
1: So that's one of the only, uh, you know, absolute contraindications. So if you've had a severe allergic reaction to any type of vaccine, you are in a category that, you know, I'd still talk to your physician just on the details, but in general, that's going to be a contraindication to getting uh, the vaccine. It's a a pretty limited number of people, but there are some people. We also uh, monitor much more carefully individuals who have any sort of allergy to other medications, allergy to bee stings, allergy um, to foods. Um, there it's safe to give, but we have a, an observation process that's a little more lengthy for those individuals just to be sure. What we've seen is a small number nationally and internationally of people with allergic reactions. They're very manageable. I mean, as a physician, you know, for think of somebody with a bee sting allergy, you know, they carry an EpiPen in their pocket. So it's yep. pretty straightforward. And so for us as a physician, if you're in one of our sites or as a nurse. um, Basically, if somebody has that kind of reaction, you get them epinephrine real quickly. They get better. At worst case, you might have somebody stay overnight, um, but most cases you send them home a couple hours later. Um, We've only seen a couple of those across now, you know, 120,000 doses that we've provided at Houston Methodist. So it's a very rare side effect, but it does exist. And so you just have to be cognizant of that um,
0: uh, if you've had that type of history. If you have a reaction to the first dose, can you expect a reaction to the second dose also? So the, the doses, you know, so let's talk
1: reactions. I mean, if you have an allergic reaction, you know, to the first dose, which will be rare, but if you had that, you're not going to get a second dose at that point. But most okay. of the reactions, I mean, we're talking 99.99999% kind of the reactions are going to be what we call reactogenic. They're, they're, they're evidence that the vaccine's working. Um, And so you'll get a sore arm or you might feel a little, you know, fluish the next day. You might even have a low grade fever. You might just feel kind of body achy. You might have none of that. Let me be really clear. I mean, I will tell you when I got my first vaccine, I barely had a sore arm and I was almost disappointed because I want to make sure this thing's working. And you know, when you have those kinds of side effects, you know it's actually generating a vigorous immune response. And I got my second dose and same thing. And so um, we do see a few more reactions in the second dose. In other words, people tend to. Have a little more fluish kinds of symptoms with the second dose because they're getting a booster effect but at the end of the day those things are mild they're over within a day you can manage them with a little bit of Tylenol that's it Uh, and you know when you're done you're vaccinated which is a much better situation than being at risk for COVID.
0: Regarding the the new strands that we've seen kind of creep in are, are the current vaccines effective or will we need additional vaccinations?
1: that's a great question you know that's that's yeah. still being studied um, uh, so there's kind of three strains that are being looked at with concern right now there's the uk strain which pretty much you know took over all the infections in the United kingdom there's the the strain from uh, South Africa which uh, has been starting to spread as well there's only been a couple of, a very limited number of those in the United States and there's a strain in Brazil uh, as well all of them uh, causing some level of concern it looks like the UK strain probably has limited difference in terms of immunity. So the vaccines probably, and again, it's not fully studied, but probably uh, are just as effective against that strain. But that strain is more infectious, and so it spreads more readily. Mm-hmm. And so we're really in a race right now. Let's get people vaccinated. Let's not have a more infectious strain come come uh, circulate and, and infect people more quickly, even if there's fewer people to infect. If it goes faster, it could cause another surge. The uh, south african strain is one that uh, has all of us looking at with a little more concern when we look at the vaccine data in south africa it looks to be a little less effective now let me caution by saying so far it looks like the vaccine is still effective in preventing hospitalizations and death we think yet it's not fully studied but it may be allowing more infections to happen there's also some evidence that people who had the disease are getting infected with that second strain. So again, I see this as a, a pretty, you know, a pretty big race. Let's get vaccinated as quickly as we can through, uh, you know, right now it's it's a matter of pumping out more vaccine and getting it out to communities so we can give it. And in two, three, four months, it's gonna be a matter of convincing the skeptical and the reluctant to go get vaccinated so we don't end up with further surges. But those are things we're watching you know, very carefully and, and literally every other day, we see more science on that. Um, so we'll continue to learn about those, those
0: variants. Okay. okay. Uh, is there a government registrar for those who receive the vaccine? And if so, what information will the government require from Houston Methodist?
1: Yeah, um, the state of Texas uses a system called IMTRAC, I-M-M-T-R-A-C, uses it for childhood vaccines and any other vaccines. So this is kind of a standard thing that's been used uh, for many, many years. Um, So that is being used as the system to collect data on who's been vaccinated or not. When you get vaccinated, you'll actually get a card um, that's provided by the CDC that shows evidence and it shows a lot number and information in terms of which vaccine uh, you received and then your vaccine information will also be within our electronic medical records. So, um, you know, you can use your card to show that you've been vaccinated. Um, You know, people will be able to check in Imtrak or you can go into, uh, for us, it's Epic. So you can go into MyChart with Epic, uh, our electronic medical record and check. And if you go to some of the other providers, many of them are Epic. Some of them are are, are other health systems, I mean, or other electronic systems, but all of those will have the ability to, to
0: check and have proof from them. Okay, regarding COVID, uh, what signs should I be concerned about? In terms of uh, inf- infection symptoms? Symptom, sy- yeah, symptoms, lightheadedness, those things. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in terms of getting COVID,
1: um, if, if you are uh, sick with COVID, uh, you know, it runs the gamut from basically asymptomatic, which has been one of the challenges of this uh, this yeah. uh, pandemic because it spread more easily because it was asymptomatic and so many people, you know, all the way up to severe symptoms. Um, the most common symptoms are going to be fever, cough, achiness, I mean, very, very similar to the flu. We don't see as much upper respiratory congestion, sniffles with this. You might see some, uh, and there's many other symptoms you might see as well, Um, sometimes some gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, The classic loss of taste and loss of smell, um, which is a very unusual symptom that doesn't happen uh, with other sort of upper respiratory viruses. So if you lose taste, you lose smell, you've probably got COVID. Um, So if you have anything in that whole spectrum, you need to be tested and, and managed as if you have COVID, unless we prove that you you know have something else. For example, you know testing for some other virus that may, may give you symptoms. But you know by and large, kind of you know as physicians we all look at it and say you know if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably mm-hmm. a duck um, these days. Um, and in fact, we've seen very little flu this year. Um, it shows two things. One is we had a very good flu vaccination campaign this year, uh, and two is flu travels much less readily than COVID does. So once you start masking and physical distance and hand-washing of pretty much extinguished flu uh, uh, this this season, thank goodness, because, you know, that would have just been that much more difficult for everybody.
0: All right, last thing, Dr. Boom, uh, just to reiterate, if I've had COVID-19, should I still get the vaccine? Yes. Yes, that's that's, that's about as emphatic as it gets. Man, I'll tell you what, Dr. Boom, I've got a a piece of paper in front of me and I've just been writing notes after notes after notes about all this information so I you know on a personal level personal level I can't thank you enough I mean this has been fantastic and just thank you for your time
1: it's my pleasure Steve thank you thank you very much
0: well this has been a COVID-19 vaccine town hall uh, you, you gotta admit yeah, you have to feel a lot better after hearing from Dr. Boom that uh, all things are, are pointed in the right direction. I don't think there's anything to be hesitant about. And if we wanna protect each other, that uh, I think the vaccine uh, is very safe and it, it's the way that we're gonna be able to get through this. So Dr. Boom, thank you. Thank you guys uh, for, for attending. And uh, I just hope uh, Godspeed on everybody getting well as soon as possible.